The sound of the Puyuma tribe on Radio Taiwan International. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. And the person I'm meeting with today is someone totally different from me because she's a total athlete and I'm not. But anyway, first off, she's Joy Chen, and she is actually a special assistant to the chairman of Yajio Group, which is a company that specializes in... Passive components. Passive components, right. Like I said, she's actually an athlete, and um, she started off uh, um, loving horse riding when she was... When you were at age of nine, right? Yeah. And then um, she was actually, you know, got professional with that and became an equestrian, and almost to the point of uh, competing in the Olympics, Yes. You did make it into the Olympics, almost. No, almost. no, I tried to qualify, but... Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Anyway, and then um, and then you switched to surfing um, in your 20s. Also got really competitive with that. Um, but then you hurt yourself at a particular uh, competition. So now, though, you haven't given up on it because actually now you're encouraging other young surfers um, in the sport. And that's where you're a social entrepreneur in that. We've all heard Joy now. So hi, Joy. <laughs> uh, hi, Shirley. Right. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah. How come you're so sporty? I mean, are your parents sporty? Uh, actually, yes. Uh, both my parents are still very active even now that they're in their 60s. So my, uh, my father has uh, been active, has always been very active throughout his life. He plays squash he hikes he he used to ride horses with us as well uh-huh. my mother also was has been riding for i guess as long as i have since the start so even today like my mother rides every single day as she's like 60 something wow um you got into horse riding here in taiwan yes i did there aren't that many horse riding facilities facilities <laughs> actually there's um, they're, they are out there. They're just not, if you don't look for them, you don't, you won't know they're around, but actually it's, um, horse riding has, uh, become quite popular lately. Yeah. So when I started, uh, horse riding, that was when I was nine. So it's almost 20 years ago. It was less popular then, but it was still around. Yeah. I only know one over out. Um, it's called Hanover. Hanover Masa. Yeah. That's, that's the one most people know <laughs> because it's in town. It's yeah, in town. Yeah. I know. This is amazing. Of all the sports you could choose, you chose horse riding. Why? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess it's uh, kind of yuanfen. It's fate. <laughs> no, it's just kind of happened because um, I had a, I had a friend who was riding when yeah even earlier than us, and she took us riding, and then yeah, just gradually my entire family got into it, even my twin sister and my brother. Uh huh. So it was kind of just the family sport for most of my time growing up oh that is so interesting yeah i know my family sport was tennis and that's like it's a very common place you know but yeah. horse riding for a whole family that's really great yeah so you 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 fell in love with it 
to the point where you were like riding every day, so that you decided that you can you're good enough to compete in like major international competitions. So yeah, I was、uh, riding every day since the age of nine. So every day after school, I would go ride. I think the first few years, I was kind of just doing it for fun, and then you know, growing up, everyone's influenced by their parents, right? So、yeah. my father is a very competitive person. So he just, I think, starting at the age of twelve, we would he would send us to Europe, a Germany specifically, to train. Every summer and winter, wow, and compete internationally. Yeah, so that's when my、uh, equestrian career kind of started. But for that kind of training, to the point where you compete on an international level, will you stay in Europe a long time then for that kind of training? Yeah. So basically, would, we、yeah. uh, for I guess for for most of our、uh, I guess it was middle school and high school we. Just stay in Germany the entire summer and winter vacation. So we didn't really have, you know, you know,、uh, when our friends were off to, you know, some on their off to their summer vacations, we would go to tr- Germany to to train. But I, I, I mean, it was it was fun for us because I was with my twin sister and my brother was also there. My mom was there, so it was like a family thing. It、oh. wasn't like grueling. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't like a boot camp, but yeah,、mm. we were training most of our time. What about school? I mean, it didn't affect your school. No, 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 it didn't affect our school. So we were. It's our my life growing up was like school and horse riding. Yeah, pretty much that. Wow, and I got really good grades in school also. So you you did? Yeah, that's amazing. You know, I've heard that actually children should have a balance of school and sports, some kind of sports, because it helps with discipline, and it actually. Your mind is more clear when you study, and you can sit more still and study and stuff, right?、Uh, yeah, I, so? actually, yes. I I I'm、uh, I agree with you one hundred percent. So I think I really believe that sports can really like sports change can change a person's life in all aspect, right? Yeah. So yeah, it it just enhances enhances your life. That's amazing. Is there other sports that you you also like? Maybe secondary to horse riding? I don't know. Oh、um, my yeah. Before surfing, though. Before oh, before surfing. surfing. Uh, no, I was I was mainly just horse riding. But <laughs> but I guess I have the athletic gene because、yeah. I'm also very good at swimming. I'm very、oh. good with water. Oh, so yeah,、oh. I guess that that explains my transition into surfing, into surfing later on in life. Well, why did you give up horse riding? Are you still do you still ride occasionally?、Now? No, not anymore. No. Okay, no. so 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 why the switch? So I stopped horse riding when I was twenty-one after graduating from college. I mean, that was more for practical reasons because I started working in finance. Oh yeah, and and I was also in New York, so there was no way to do it. And at that point, I also decided to stop because I didn't think that I was going to be a an athlete for you know、yeah. down the road. So yeah, I just decided to stop and continue then focused on my career instead. Ah,、uh, how long were you in New York? I was only in New York for a year. Okay,、yeah. for work. For work,、was. yes. Yeah, for、uh, I was in investment banking. Oh, okay. Yeah, but you had your college education here in Taiwan. No, no, no. I went to school in, at the University of Pennsylvania. Oh, I, okay. Yeah, I studied a、uh, business at the Wharton School. Oh, so you were in the states for a period of time. Yes, in、oh. total five years. Five years. Yes. Oh, got it. So you had like four years of college, and then you worked. Uh, for a year, and then you came back to Taiwan. Yes. Oh,、uh, to take over your dad's business. Uh, uh, let's take. Sorry, let's not, not say 
say that because <laughs> no, that sounds yeah, <laughs> yeah I didn't mean that I didn't mean that yeah but, but yes yes I came back to I guess you can say to help my father right. with the business yeah Yes. How, what's what's that like working for a family business and working for your dad? Oh, it's very difficult. Uh, it's very difficult, but not the part where I work with my father. It's more the I guess there's a very big cultural difference uh, between what I was used to and what I encountered when I moved back to Taiwan. It's just com- everything's different. Yeah. So I'm used to I'm used to more the Western culture, the you know the Western mentality, the Western just just how people behave in the U.S. That's how what I'm used to. And then when I came back to Taiwan, like that's, you know, the Taiwanese culture, ev- everything is more toned down. People are more modest. Uh huh. Yeah. So yeah, it was a big change. And then most of my, f- the thing is, most of my friends were not in Taiwan. Oh. So I also had no, not many people to relate to because our we're in the manufacturing industry, right? The nature of our industry is manufacturing. So I was in Xinzu, the Xiangxia. I was in the countryside in Xinzu. Yes. Which is even more different than what I was used to. Yeah. So it's more out in the suburbs. It's, it's not out in the suburbs, city yes. life. Yeah. And then most people were in the age range of 30s, 40s. So I, I really had no peers at work and like socially, I had no peers. Oh. So it was very difficult for me for, for quite, quite a while. But, but the company is still in Xinzu, right? No, or I mean, not? no, okay. uh, that was a, a subsidiary. Our headquarters is in Xindian. The Yajo Group has a lot of subsidiaries. Okay, so I was yeah, first yeah. in Xinzu, and then now I'm in Xindian. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. What do you think about uh, you know this um, passive components? Passive components, yes. Yeah, industry, the sector in Taiwan. Can you talk about this? <laughs> Getting off from yeah, it's definitely those. not what I'm <laughs> as as passionate about. But I mean, Taiwan's uh, economy is heavily dependent on exports, and uh, most of it is coming from the um, electronics industry. Yeah. So you know, we have TSMC, Foxconn, and all these electronics uh, electronics uh, companies, right? So I think this is the fundamental. This makes up of the base of Taiwan's economy. Yeah. So yeah, we are. We this is Taiwan's. Uh, yeah. Mm. So is your dad under a lot of pressure? <laughs> uh, yeah, I believe he is, but I think that's what he chooses. So he right. he's used to it. I mean, he started this um, company all by himself. Yeah. To start off with. Yes. So that's that's amazing. Yeah, my father is very entrepreneurial. I think he really likes. He really. I'm sure he really loves what he's doing. Yeah. So the pressure is just a part of it. And working with your dad, I don't know. Does he like put pressure on you? Does he? Does he yell at you? <laughs> Actually, he doesn't. So Good. compared to a lot of my friends who complain about their fathers being very dominant, but actually, know. my father isn't like that towards me. But that doesn't mean that I don't have any pressure because growing up, I think uh, I'm used to being held up to a very high standard by my father. Uh-huh. So, you know, in equestrian, whether it was in school or in equestrian, my father expected very high results and performance really? from me. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I always, so even without my father watching over me, I always have that, you know, very high standard and expectation of myself. So that's just kind of inside me, yeah. whether or not my father is around. 
Well, good thing you you've got the sports to balance it all out. You know. Yes, exactly. That's exactly why I'm so so dedicated in this world, also because yeah. It's, yeah, it's part of it's how I balance my life. Yeah, that you can still smile. Yes, yeah, <laughs> talking exactly. about this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Did we talk about what your major was in college? My major is、uh, finance. Right. You did say that. That's yeah, business that's kind finance. Of, yeah, yeah, but that's kind of very different from what you're actually doing now for your dad. Or no, it it, it, it's, it's actually the same.、Uh, I、oh. studied well, you know, management in biz, like in business school. It's about management, finance, accounting. That's all. I guess it's. I look at those those as the same category. So dad sent you to right school and studied、yes. the right major, yeah, exactly, so、yes. that you could come back and help with this business. Yeah, that's, that's exactly his plan. Yes. <laughs> are you the, so? Are you the oldest? I know you have a twin sister, but are you the no, older one? No, I have one, an or? older brother. You have an older brother. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh,、yeah. I see. And、I、a twin、see. sister. Oh, so I see. Three of us. Anyway, so、um, the sports, the surfing part.、Um, you were saying that you really in you know really are, is very comfortable in the water and other kind of stuff. Yes. I I'm afraid of water myself. I'm not a good swimmer.、Um, I'm I don't I wouldn't call myself a swimmer at all. My husband is, and my three kids. I mean, they used to be in school swim team. Oh, okay. But I'm、um, not me. You know, they used to laugh at me. <laughs> That's very common in Taiwan. I come across a lot of people who the mother even even surfers who can't swim. I was very surprised by that at the beginning.、Uh, yeah, well, surprised by what part? A lot of surfers, surfers,、yeah. people who surf in the ocean, they can't they can't swim. Uh, what? Wait, I thought you have to know how to swim in order to be a surfer.、Uh, no, not really, because the surfboard itself is buoyant. Yes, so it's like a floating device. Really? So a、it's、lot of people. Is that safe? Uh, not really, but I don't know. Just the mentality of people here is sometimes a, a little bit strange. <laughs> I think so.、Yeah. That that is strange. I mean, I think you should at least know how to swim. You know, I mean, if you were to catch yourself in some dangerous situation, you need to be able to save yourself. Yeah, exactly.、Um, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. As、I'm、much a, as the surfboard is a point, but still, you know, I totally agree with you. Uh, yeah, that's really weird. I'm sure you can you change the mentality on on these upcoming young tiny surfers that you're helping with, right? Yeah, you're, yeah. You're changing yes, that. Yeah. Good. Good. Talk about. You're being a social entrepreneur and helping these upcoming Taiwanese young surfers. First of all, can I ask how you hurt yourself?、Um, so my injury is a little bit complicated. Is、um, it spine? Your back? No, no, it's my it's my knee. Your knee. So I guess a、uh, long story short, it's overuse. Oh. Yeah, but it, it somehow it just it was it just took a long time to recover. I got injured kind of at the peak of my surfing career. So I was just getting into surf competition. I know, in then, France, right? Yeah, I was in France in particular.、Right. It was a really big competition, so I was really looking forward to that. And then I got injured, a little bit injured before, but it was not so bad. So、uh-huh. obviously, I was like, okay, I'm still gonna go to the competition,、uh-huh. and I made it worse during warm up. So I didn't even get to surf the actual competition. Okay, but I was there.、It、must be devastating. Yeah, I was. I was really devastated, but that actually wasn't the worst part because you know it's normal for our athletes to get injured. So I just took it as a you know a normal injury, but somehow. This injury was took a long time to recover. Ouch! Got to tune in next week to hear more from Joy Chen about her surfing career. For in the spotlight, I'm Shirley Lin.
classic shorts, poems, and stories from Chinese literature. Hi, I'm Natalie So, the person in the mirror, fearing gray hair. Is it a man or a woman in an illicit love affair? That was one of the questions that translators had to grapple with when they translated a very famous love poem by the late Tang Dynasty poet Li Sangying. He was known to be quite the ladies' man and often wrote love poems to his admirers. These poems were untitled and were his most provocative type of poetry. Today, I read one of the most famous ones, and you tell me: is it the man or the woman in the mirror? This one is widely translated and describes the sadness of an illicit love affair. It's difficult for us to meet and hard to part. The east wind is too weak to revive flowers dead. The silkworm, till its death, spins silk. From love's sick heart, the candle only when burned has no tears to shed. At dawn, she'd be afraid to see mirrored hair gray. At night, she would feel cold while I croon by moonlight. To the three fairy hills. It is not a long way. Without the bluebird, I'll fly to see her on their height. This poem has many translations, and this one has the writer, the man, as the one looking in the mirror. It is difficult to meet, and just as hard to part. The east wind weakly blows over the wrecked flowers. The spring silkworm spews out silk until it dies. Only till the candle turns to ashes does its tears dry. At dawn, I gaze upon my transformed hair. In the mirror, at night I chant to the cold moonlight. It is not a long journey to Fairy Mountain. The bluebird attentively watches over the road. The next translation offers a different interpretation, where the woman is the one in the mirror. Time was long before I met her, 
that is longer since we parted and the east wind has arisen and a hundred flowers are gone and the silkworms of spring will weave until they die and every night the candles will weep their wicks away mornings in her mirror she sees her hair cloud changing yet she dares the chill of moonlight with her evening song it is not so very far to her enchanted mountain oh bluebirds be listening bring me what she says And let's end with one more translation of this very famous Tang Dynasty poem about an illicit love affair. Hard is for us to meet and hard to go away. Powerless lingers the eastern wind as all the flowers decay. The spring silkworm will only end his thread when death befalls. The candle will drip with tears until it turns to ashes gray. Facing the morning mirror, she fears her cloudy hair will fade. Reading poems by night, she should be chilled by the moon's ray. The fairy mountain, poem, lies at no great distance. May a bluebird fly to her and my tender cares convey. So is the one in the mirror a man or the woman that he's missing? What do you think? That untitled poem by Lee Sung-ing was one that many sought to interpret and translate. Thanks for tuning in to Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie So. Listening to News Playlist. We've queued up some of the most interesting reports for you, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Welcome to News Playlist. I'm Paula Chow, the program host. Remember that mask buying frenzy back when the news of COVID 19 first broke? So do we. Masks were sold out everywhere. The government launched a rationing plan and had mask factories working around the clock. Several months later, the shortage of masks is over. But are all of the masks on the market these days genuine? Buyers, beware. There are counterfeit medical-grade masks on the market. Unscrupulous businesses are ready to cash in on unsuspecting consumers who can't tell real masks from fake ones. This has shoppers concerned. Masks sold by private sellers online are a particular target for suspicion. Some say they don't want to risk purchasing these masks because of the risk that they are substandard and not really made in Taiwan as advertised. It's understandable that consumers are confused and concerned. 
There are masks sold in boxes, some come without boxes, and some are individually packaged. Even if you cut them in half to see if they have three layers like the government certified ones, sometimes it's impossible to tell real from fake. And then there are some masks with three layers that are of poor quality, filtering out only 7 to 80 percent of germs due to the material used. Pharmacists say there are six things to look out for when buying masks. The first one is the CNS mark that indicates government approval. Then, there is the manufacturer's name and address. Finally, there are the manufacturer's license number, the number of the batch, and the manufacturing date. Pharmacists say you can even call the manufacturer to double-check with them about the box of masks you plan on purchasing. Catherine Wei, RTI News. It's no secret that Taiwanese people love to eat. They can talk your year off about their favorite foods, favorite restaurants, favorite night markets, and even their favorite stalls in particular night markets. Every year when the Michelin Guide on Taiwan comes out, these kinds of discussions get even more heated. Let's take a look at what's exciting about this year's guide, which has been released early. On Tuesday, the 2020 Bib Gourmand section for the Taipei and Taichung Michelin Guide was released. This section is special because the places that made the list aren't going to break the bank. According to the guide, you should be able to get a three-course meal for under a thousand New Taiwan dollars, or $34. And yes, you heard that right! The central Taiwanese city of Taichung has joined Taipei on the list for the first time ever this year. A total of 75 eateries have been selected for foodies to sample their way through. The Bib Gourmand section features more affordable options that are popular with locals and less touristy. This year's list is said to be heavy on the Taiwanese side, but North Indian restaurant Taj also made the list with its beautiful tandoori chicken. The owners are modest and say they don't know why they were selected. Other local favorites include this guabao place in Taipei's Wanhua district, which has been open for 65 years. The guabao is a well-known local delicacy, says the owner. Golden crispy chicken roasted over longan wood, fall-apart pork trotters, fried pork chops, and special chrysanthemum noodles all have claimed a spot this year as well, just waiting for you to give them a try. Catherine Wei, RTI News. Twenty containers of ammonia nitrate stored in central Taiwan's port of Taichung have all been removed. That's after an ammonia nitrate explosion that devastated Beirut, Lebanon last week. On August 4, a massive explosion at the port of Beirut in Lebanon killed at least 200 people. The blast was triggered by 2,750 tons of ammonia nitrate stored improperly there. The tragedy has prompted the Taiwan International Ports Corporation to check storage conditions at Taiwan's ports. The corporation found that Pier 34 at the port of Taichung stored the highest volume of imported ammonia nitrate in Taiwan. A company official says that there were 20 containers of ammonia nitrate at the site, but that all have been removed. The official says the stocks were probably intended for use in the manufacture of laughing gas, although the compound can also be used to make agriculture fertilizers. In general, ammonia nitrate is stored in Taichung port for five days. That's because it is not listed as highly dangerous, categorized instead as a low to medium danger substance. Still, following the Beirut explosion, the government has demanded the inspection of imported ammonia nitrate. 
all safety guidelines must be met, from storage and loading to discharging and transport. This is News Playlist, a weekly rundown of some of the most interesting news reports brought to you by RTI. Watch along on YouTube if you like, or close your eyes and enjoy these stories by way of sound. After being postponed due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Taiwan's annual hot air balloon event in Taidong has finally taken off, giving those who have been cooped up indoors because of the pandemic a good excuse to get out and visit the eastern Taiwan county. The Taiwan International Balloon Festival has been held in Taidong every summer since 2011. The festival has always attracted foreign balloon teams, and there were concerns that it would be canceled this year due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Though it was delayed, this year's festival has finally begun. It will run until August 30th. In the festival's first four weeks, the balloons have already attracted more than 600,000 visitors. This year, the organizers estimate that the total number of visitors could break one million. Authorities say that anyone planning to hop on one of the hot air balloons for a ride will still have to abide by COVID-19 prevention guidelines. All riders will have their temperatures taken and will have to wear masks from start to finish. Shirley Lin, RTI News. Sometimes a low-tech solution is the best one. That's the conclusion one volunteer firefighter in the central city of Taichung has reached. After years of work, he has come up with a new tool that could one day save fire departments big bucks. Volunteer firefighter Zhang Renzhong's water rocket gun has all the functionality of the guns firefighters typically use to fire off lifelines to stranded people. But they come at just a tenth of the price. Instead of using gunpowder to fire off lifelines, these guns are water-propelled using simple physics found in elementary school textbooks. Zhang began developing these water rocket guns eight years ago, continuing work through a battle with cancer. He is now on version 3. Zhang says he's done around 2,000 test launches so far, but all this trial and error has paid off. His water rockets can now fire a lifeline accurately to a point up to 100 meters away, with tail fins providing the stability needed to quickly get a lifeline wherever it may be needed. John Van Trieste, RTI News. To end today's program, we have a story about a French priest who has been living in Taiwan for decades. Father Yves Moala has received the best gift he could imagine for the 80th birthday, a second-hand store run by his Catholic church in the eastern county of Hualien has risen again from the ashes. On Wednesday, a Catholic church in Hualien had a simple plaque unveiling ceremony for its second-hand store. The store, destroyed by fire in February, sells clothes, shoes, and toys. The second-hand items are important for the church because the revenue is spent on caring for mentally challenged children. Father Yves Mala, originally from France, has been preaching in Taiwan for over 50 years. He has also been taking care of children in Hualien for decades. He says it's a miracle that the store was able to reopen just a few months after a fire. Within 36 hours after the news of the fire accident broke, his church received donations of 400,000 Taiwan dollars. It happened to be Father Moala's 80th birthday when the store reopened. Former Vice President Chen Jinren wished Father Moala a happy birthday. Chen said, 
the warmth of Taiwanese people is what makes the island a special place, and that in Hualien, it's Father Mawala who makes the area special. And that's all we have for this week's edition of News Playlist. For Radio Taiwan International, I'm Paula Chow. RTI news, programs, pictures, and more online at english.rti.org.tw. Check it out. Check it out. Our focus is on uh, organizing these kind of seminars, events for the major topics which are here in Taiwan relevant for the German industry like Industry 4.0, automatization, digitalization, uh, energy transition and offshore is one of these topics, uh, smart cities, uh, smart mobility, these are the topics we are looking for. Hello and welcome to this week's On the Line brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. The German trade office Taipei with offices at 130 locations in over 90 countries was established in 1981 and the chief representative and executive director Mr. Axel Lindbergh said his office is to promote bilateral trade between Taiwan and Germany. Mr. Axel Lindbergh has been in Taiwan since 2017 and he said he's happy to be in Taiwan to help German companies start their business operations in Taiwan and to help Taiwanese companies interested in investing in Germany. As one of the most important services of the German trade office Taipei is to promote trade relations, this month they will take part in the Taipei International Industrial Automation Exhibition running from August 19th to 22nd and there will be a German pavilion with 11 world-leading companies showcasing their products and technology. During the exhibition, the German trade office Taipei and the Taiwanese Smart Machinery Promotion Office will also join host the German Industry 4.0 seminar. Mr. Axel Lindbergh, Chief Representative and Executive Director of the German Trade Office Taipei said his office is pleased to inform that Taipei Automation 2020 is the first B2B industrial trade fair which is going to take place despite the current COVID-19 pandemic, emphasizing that Industry 4.0 will be the key to a modern industry and future prosperity. Taiwan and Germany, with their mutual focus on electronics and machinery, are natural partners for jointly developing future automation solutions and meeting the market demands. In other areas of cooperation, Taiwan and Germany have had close cooperation in many sectors such as wind energy. The Chief Representative and Executive Director Mr. Axel Lindbergh has 18 years of experience in the energy business. He said Taiwan and Germany have a lot in common in developing offshore wind power. In early March this year, DE International Taiwan Limited, the service unit of the German trade office Taipei, brought three companies to the Wind Energy Asia in the southern city of Kaohsiung. At the opening speech, Mr. Axel Lindbergh said wind energy has been on the rise in Germany since 
the year 2000. Since then, the electricity fit-in rose from 10 terawatt hours to about 126 terawatt hours in 2019, making wind energy the most important renewable energy. To find out more, we're joined today by Mr. Axel Limburg, the Chief Representative and Executive Director of the German Trade Office, Taipei. Uh, we know that Germany's wind energy is one of the world's largest. And uh, what is the drive behind uh, the technology in Germany? I think the drive behind this, this technology in Germany is um, we we have the political decision to implement the energy transition. Transition. This was done um, beginning of the 2000s, uh, and now we have also the uh, European Green Deal uh, that Europe should become become green. So that's the political power to implement the the changes and. Uh, If you consider energy supply as, let's say, the blood system for for the industry, then we need in in Germany and in Europe a stable and reliable energy supply, energy system. And for an industrialized country, we need also huge and and large uh, generation facilities. And wind, and in particular offshore wind power, is the energy source which is able to supply the energy in this amount and uh, in this, let's say, stability and also predictability. Mm, Taiwan and Germany have had cooperation in the field of wind energy. Could you talk about this, Axel? Yes, there are very close uh, connections. Uh, we have signed an and signed MOU between the Bureau of Energy and the German authorities on, on uh, energy. And the energy transition is very important. We are very active as office to bring in German companies here to Taiwan uh, to explore the renewable market, in particular the offshore market. A uh, lot of companies are active here. For example, WPD is active since ages. And I just read that the um, founder of WPD business here in Taiwan got the Taiwanese citizenship as, let's say, honor for, for his activities for the renewable business. Siemens Gamesa as the big supplier of technology of wind turbines is active. Um, the other big project developers like ENBW or RWE are active. They are looking for opportunities. And of course, we can see also a huge amount of small and mid-sized German companies highly specialized on uh, offshore wind uh, business. Uh, they are looking also for opportunities to, to start their business here in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, an, again, a very nice situation where Taiwan and Germany are in a very comparable situation. We have a comparable or similar setup. So I would see there are a lot of chances for cooperation uh, on, on ice level and to really build up partnerships and to grow not only in Taiwan, but to grow also in the region here in, in Southeast Asia together. But do you think that the proposed changes to the feed-in tariff uh, for offshore wind for 2020 announced by the Taiwanese government will cause any impact on this industry? Um, any change of the, let's say, regulations cause, cause or has an impact on, on the industry. Um, but from my perspective, we have always considered these are investments for the next 20 years. And stability and reliability are the most important factors for doing business. Because in our days, <coughs> we take the decision 
to in for an investment that should work for the next 20 years and we have to know how it works and the feed-in tariffs are an important source of the, the income for these kind of projects and in respect of let's say the level of feed-in tariffs I would say there is not only one right level available worldwide mm -hmm. uh, it really depends on the market situation if you have a market like in Germany or Europe uh, with a huge amount of installations with a huge uh, basis of, of knowledge how it works uh, what are the conditions uh, you know the, the wind volume uh, so the risks are quite lower because we have established supply change uh, then the Feed-in tariff can be lower in comparison with countries where we really start with the offshore business. Uh, we don't have existing supply change. The environment, how to erect the wind turbines is not really uh, stable. We have some studies and analyses, but the real knowledge is, is at the moment limited. So in these scenarios, you need a higher um, feed-in tariff to cover the risk and to gives the incentives to companies, yes, I'm interested to explore this market. You're listening to Underline, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong today. I'm speaking with the Chief Representative and Executive Director of the German Trade Office Taipei, Mr. Axel Limburg. How do you view the potential for offshore wind energy here in Taiwan? Uh, I would say it's a, it's a great potential because uh, if we, we compare the, the sites uh, available for, for offshore installations, um, Taiwan has a huge amount of sites uh, with very attractive conditions. Uh, a majority of the top sites for development are here in Taiwan. Uh, second, uh, it's not only necessary or we should not not look only to Taiwan we should have a closer view to the complete region and in the complete Asia region we see a development of offshore wind and the energy transition and at the moment Taiwan is at the front of the crowd the projects are here uh, highly developed so Taiwan has at the moment the potential to to become the hub for the region Mm -hmm. The potential actually also brings in competition. And um, how do you think that German companies, for example, uh, should compete with uh, some leading companies in the UK, especially, and then Denmark and Belgium? Um, I think it's a European competition because in, in Europe it's also a Euro market. But as I have mentioned, we see the big German project developers are active, WPD. Uh, they are realizing projects. Uh, EMBW is active, trying to uh, is working on projects. RWE is working here on on projects. Uh, Eon uh, was here, is now merged with with RWE in in this respect. So the big project developers from Germany are here. They are active, and uh, as it is in Germany, the backbone of the German industry are the small and mid-sized companies and here we can see also in tier 2, tier 3 level a lot of German companies which are active or exploring the market at the moment. Mm -hmm. And we know the Global Wind Energy Wind Council is going to organize Global Offshore Wind Summit in October, co-organized by European Chamber of Commerce. Um, 
You also actually organized a, a summit before. It's called Taiwanese Germany Offshore Wind Summer. Will you organize this summit again in the future? Um, I think, of course, our focus is on uh, organizing these kind of seminars, events for the major topics which are here in Taiwan relevant for the German industry, like Industry 4.0, automatization, digitalization, energy transition and offshore is one of these topics, uh, smart cities, uh, smart mobility. These are the topics we are looking for. We have some seminars uh, on our agenda, as I have mentioned, and also we are working on exploring the potential and possibilities to, to have an offshore seminar and forum here in Taiwan this year. To explore the opportunities, uh, one way that you do that is also through finding trips. Uh, will you still continue to do that in the future? Yes, I think that's one of our core activities. And from my perspective, it generates the highest value for, for the companies. And I personally believe we did some or we learned some new idea or we, we got some new ideas uh, during the COVID-19 crisis that we will see in future more hybrid delegations that the first contacts will be established on a dig digital way and then in a second step we can see really business travel and delegations traveling to Germany or to Taiwan because the delegation itself it makes sense to really meet the people to see the technology and to start a serious discussion on, on cooperation but the first step could be done in a digital way. Mm. Uh, as we are facing COVID-19 and we are moving actually towards uh, uh, the third quarter of uh, 2020 and uh, so what, what is your agenda that you think uh, that can be achieved towards the end of the year? I think till end of the year, we, we expect uh, a, a digital delegation from, from Germany in, in respect of uh, smart cities to promote this technology. Uh, we, we hope to, to organize at least one uh, hybrid seminar where we have the participants here in, in Taiwan on the spot for the exchange because the networking is very important and, the, and to get some input from Germany uh, on a digital way. Mm -hmm. So from that perspective, these seminars should become more attractive because it will be much easier for the people from Germany to participate here in Taiwan or for Taiwanese participants to, to be active and to become active in, in Germany. So we do hope that there will be more bilateral exchanges between mm -hmm. Taiwan and Germany in the future. And we've been joined in a studio today by Mr. Axel Limber, Chief Representative and Executive Director of German Trade Office, Taipei. Thank you very much, Axel, for coming to our studio today. Carson, many, many thanks for, for give, giving me the possibility to present our approach, our ideas. And as mentioned, it's our mission to be here for the German companies, for the bilateral business, and to pro promote the business exchange as, as good and as much as possible. Thank you very much for, for the possibility to be here. And there was our interview with the Chief Representative and Executive Director of the German Trade Office Taipei, Mr. Axel Limburg. And if you'd like to know more about German-Taiwan business relations and the German Pavilion at Taipei International Automation Industrial Exhibition, please visit their website. It's taiwan.ahk.de. And again, that's taiwan.ahk. De. And that's it for this week's Online, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Take Goodbye.
Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.